I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Welcome to Face to Face. This is a show about change and about what's next. It's a show that wants to ask questions, peel back the layers of our average everyday experience, and go beyond scratching the surface. We interview amazing people with incredible ideas and stories who have done wild, weird, and wonderful things. Remember that imagination shared create collaboration, and collaboration creates community, and community inspires social change. I'm David Peck, and this is Face to Face. Today is with, uh, well, actually, it's going to be my first interview with a series of uh, documentary filmmakers uh, from Hot Docs this year, which I'm very excited about. It's we uh, I, I visited with uh, on the phone Alethea Arnikuk-Boril, her new movie Angry Anouk, which you need to see. You absolutely need to see. It premieres world premiere May the second, but it's going to be playing at Hot Docs uh, for the next. I think there's a couple other uh, viewings coming up. Alethea is wonderful. You're going to love this film. It's a, it's a it's a balanced film. It's a, a engaging film. It's fascinating from for, for for a whole lot of reasons. But I think one of the things that really bubbles to the surface for me here is that this is uh, this is a film about listening. This is a film about um, getting the story right, you know, and about misunderstanding. We talk about a whole lot of things. We talk about one of the things I love the most is about, we talk about humor to diffuse tension, and we talk a little bit about the Inuit sort of traditional approach to to, to anger and to conflict, which becomes kind of a central theme, really. And and and, and Alethea talks a lot about her, her culture and about where she's come from and and why these things are so important to her. So uh, please, uh, you're going to uh, stay tuned. You're going to love this uh, interview. You're going to follow in love with Alethea, make sure you get out to see the film Angry Anouk uh, and davidpecklive.com for more uh, podcasts and more interviews. You can get my new book, Real Change is Incremental. Uh, stay tuned for a really interesting interview with Alethea Arnukuk Burrell and Angry Anouk. Well, welcome to Face to Face. We are joined by a very special guest here uh, this morning, a filmmaker uh, sort of celebrating, I guess, the, the, the start of Hot Docs over the weekend. Uh, Alethea arnakuk Baril is here to talk about her new film, Angry Anouk. And uh, Alethea, thank you so much for taking the time this morning to chat with us. Yeah, hi David. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's uh, so. So I've seen the film recently, and I think it's uh, now uh, um, been shown at least two times at Hot Docs. And can you can you talk a little bit about the reception so far? 
well, actually, I haven't screened it yet. Oh, you haven't screened no, it yet. Tonight's oh. the premiere. Wow, yeah. amazing! <laughs> and are you and are you nervous? Um, I'm not quite sure how I'm feeling to be <laughs> honest. When when something's this big a deal in your life for yeah. this long, it's yeah. hard to even know what you're feeling. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. I I bet you uh, at a certain point, having spent a fair bit of time on stage over the years, the adrenaline will kick in soon. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm, do you drink coffee? Absolutely. Yes, and large amounts of alcohol. Um, you <laughs> might you might want to mix the two, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I have early morning uh, screening, so that, uh, <laughs> the alcohol won't be happening. But no, definitely that's, lots oh, of coffee. That's, oh, Alicia, <laughs> I'm so sorry to hear that. Yeah. <laughs> it's okay. My first uh, interview was uh, I I was in the car by six twenty this morning. Oh, is that right? Not so a morning person, so. Oh, is that right? <laughs> well, at least you uh, you you sharpened your teeth with that interview, yeah. I suppose. <laughs> yeah. Well, listen, you know, I so first of all, congratulations. I wish Thank you all the best tonight. I'm sure we'll talk a little bit more about that whole hot dogs thing as well. But t- t- tell us about the film. I mean, rather than me tell you know our listeners about it, I mean, I want to hear it from you, the passionate voice. I mean, first of all, congratulations. It's it's a remarkable film, and and for me as a guy that's uh, you know all about social change and international development and so on, the one of the things that stands out to me so much is that wow, do we ever misunderstand others? more often than not, it seems to me, you know, <laughs> yes, yes. and that for me, I mean, it's so, it's about the anti-seal campaigns, it's about the Inuit, it's about cross-cultural effectiveness, it's about listening, but, but give us a little bit of that passion, because it sure comes through in the film. Mm-hmm. Well, um, I'm Inuit, I'm born and raised in the Arctic, I still live there, um, and, y- you know, we're, we're the people of the seal, um, Inuit are hmm. known to be seal hunters, um, and it's how we survived in one of the harshest environments uh, for millennia. And um, I think most people know, you know, if they know anything about Inuit, they know that we're seal hunters right. um, as a people and seal meat eaters. But uh, for some reason, <laughs> for lots of reasons, um, people don't think of us when they talk about commercial sealing. Um, there have been many campaigns over decades fighting against seal hunting, and it kind of boggles my mind that people manage to spend huge amounts of time and money um, discussing uh, the, the issue of commercial seal hunting without a thought to the Inuit, uh, who are actually the majority of commercial sealers. So this film's kind of about how we've been affected over the decades on the issue uh, and how a new generation of Inuit, myself included, are fighting back and fighting to be heard and seen using um, modern technology and social media. Well, I think, you know, what, what, one of the things that struck me, too, was how long this has been going on, mm-hmm. you know, and how you, you, you point out 1983 was kind of a seminal moment, a real milestone for, for, for the campaigners and, and also, though, for, for, for the Inuit themselves. For animal rights for movements an- in general. Yeah, yeah. right. Yeah, and so and so, talk 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 about that a little bit because I don't I don't think many of us know actually the history really. I mean, we mm-hmm. we think white seals, you know, we think the 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 little white stuffies, mm-hmm. you know, that that you you so focus on when you head out to the European Union and you give a really broad. Um, it took took you eight years to film this. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, almost yeah. to the day. In a couple of days, it will be <laughs> years. <laughs> almost to the day. Wow, that's a huge commitment, and I think that's something for me that really bubbles to the surface throughout the film. Mm-hmm. It's just your passionate, your intent, your focus, and your desire to, 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 to set the record straight, as, as it were. 
Yeah, well, um, you know, it, it took eight years, and that's a long time, and it's definitely a big part of my life. But having grown up with the issue um, and knowing that Inuit have been dealing with this for decades and will continue to deal with this likely um, for a long time to come, um, eight years also kind of feels like a blip. Right, <laughs> I bet. Um, but I tried to, to capture um, the issue in a broader way, and, and, and I tried not to focus too much on... Uh, details and specific arguments and, and cover, cover it in a holistic way because um, it, it, for, for us it's not just about hunting and eating seal um, and selling seal skins. It's, it's also about protecting our environment mm-hmm. and all the animals in the Arctic mm-hmm. and our whole way of life and our identity as well. It's, um, there are a lot of angles to the story and I couldn't um, even an, as an Inuk filmmaker, I couldn't cover the entire Inuit perspective, and it's it's very much a personal perspective. I don't represent all Inuit, but it's um, it's my take on how the world has uh, seen us, or more accurately, probably not seen us. Have you shared it with many Inuit leaders or communities yet? Have uh, have have you had feedback? Um, I've I've screened it privately, uh, a rough version of it um, because it was really only done (laughs) last week Mm. um, with the president of the National Inuit Association. You like like to uh, run it right up to the last minute, eh? Yeah, well, (laughs) I mean, I was still trying to get interviews with the uh, the animal group. Of course. So, you know, it's it's really hard to nail down when the film is done when you're still trying to reach out and be heard um, and have discussions. Mm. So, um, yeah, it was it was done recently, and uh, I haven't had a chance to screen it with a lot of people yet cause it, because it was done so recently. But I screened it with the president of the National Inuit Association, and it was um, it was definitely rewarding Great. <laughs> to a, and a relief to hear that there weren't huge issues for him. Well, one of the, <laughs> the things, film, but I also worked closely with a lot of Inuit on the film. Of so, course, yeah. yeah, and that really comes through. I mean, it's mm-hmm. something. I mean, I you know, me, let's say I went in as a filmmaker to try to do mm-hmm. this, there would have been a whole. There would have been cross-cultural things. There would have been issues of trust and so on. You didn't have to worry about any of that, it seems to me. Well, I mean, I, I have to worry about different things. I have to worry about being seen as a, a person representing Inuit on the mm-hmm. issue, and I'm mm-hmm. just one filmmaker with one personal sure. opinion. Um, but certainly I did my best to be honest about it, um, to portray people honestly, to let them speak, um, and to speak with people who are respected and... Um, show them for who they are. Uh, so, you know, I, I spoke with, uh, you know, we had the chair of the Hunters and Trappers Association in my community in the film, um, hunters who um, have sold seal skin their whole lives. Um, and Ayu Peter, who is one of the um, main characters in my film, she's been an advocate on this issue yes. in an unofficial way. She's right. not elected. Right. She's not part of any organization. She doesn't have money. She's not paid to do this. But she's been doing it for over 20 years. Um, so, so yeah, it, it's um, when you're from the community and covering your own people, it can be really hard to separate yourself sometimes uh, from the issue and know whether you're doing things in a balanced way. But at some point, I just had to decide that I'm going to tell my truth and um, portray um, this issue the way I see it. And that's the, the most honest way I can do it. I think, you know, right from your establishing shot, which is absolutely glorious and gorgeous, and it's, but it, 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 at the same time, you know, has this 
uh, for somebody like me, and I come out of a fairly cold environment. I spent a lot of time in, in Southeast Asia where it's very hot. Mm -hmm. the, you know, I've, I've spent time in Mongolia. I remember being on a trip uh, that mm. went into Cambodia and Mongolia in a, in a three-week period, and I think I, I spread about an 80-degree difference in temperatures. <laughs> I went yeah. from, you know, 42, Fahrenheit, uh, 42 Celsius to about minus 38 or something like mm -hmm. that. And you see the opening shots, and it's beautiful, and you kind of want to almost play there. In, yeah. in, you know, yeah. in, in, in the north, in the, in the, in this sea of snow. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. yet for me, I just went, I, I went to sort of almost, and maybe this is personal, but I went to the loneliness of that, the, the separation of that, the, wow, you're kind you're kind of on your own out here, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Well, I guess different people read it different ways. Cause I see that image and I think fond memories of, of course. my family and I bet you children do. playing and yeah. food and yeah. So, yeah, it's funny the different perspectives coming from different places. That that opening shot, it's a long, um, slow, beautiful pan of um, the ocean, the Arctic Ocean and sea ice. And uh, my director of photography, by the way, is an Inuk seal hunter. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Um, and it was uh, hilarious at times. You'd be really frustrated um, seeing a seal and having to film it instead of shooting it with a <laughs> rifle. <laughs> oh, okay. Okay, you just described the, the premise for a comedy routine. That's <laughs> <Yeah>. hilarious. <laughs> you, said, you said, I'm not used to shooting seals with a camera. With a camera, <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, no, it's uh, beautiful. I'm really proud of um, the aesthetic in this film. Yeah. I, my mm -hmm. director of photography is extremely talented, and I'm just so proud that he's from my home community. And I think you can really feel in the film that it's an inside job. Um, right, right. He really, you know, when... when uh, the, the hunter is butchering the seal. Um, my DOP, Hayak, knew exactly what was going to happen next because he does the same thing, and, and he just got shots that a southern DOP would never be able to get. Right, right. So there's almost a, an intimacy that your director of photography brought to the, the conversation, it, if you exactly, will. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, it's quite beautiful. Yeah, no, I, I, I saw it as, a, I guess, reflecting back on the film as I went through my notes, I saw it as what a beautiful way to set up the conversation. You know, the Inuit have been to some degree uh, separate and distinct from uh, other aspects of our culture. And yes, we, 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 we know about them and we, we understand them to some degree, but wow, have we ever um, got a long way to go. That's kind of how I saw it metaphorically. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And I uh, I had a lot of debate actually with my producers and my editor about the opening shots in the film and uh, you always want to establish where you are and, and who's telling the story at the beginning of the film um, and I, I really flip flop between showing the the uh, the flow edge mm. the sea ice mm -hmm. because that's the image people know of Inuit and I want to change minds with this film I want people to sure. see us as a modern people. Um, and I, at one point, I had the film opening with a birthday party scene. Inuit in the town, indoors, having a birthday party right, and right. Uh, eating seal meat, but right, also sure. dressed up for a birthday party. And it, you know, it, it it was a tough decision to go back and forth. And in the end, I started. Uh, I decided to start with the issue. You know, this is our environment. This is what we're trying to protect. This is where we are. And this is the food we have available to us. So in the end, that's the opening. And um, I'm glad I stuck with it. But mm -hmm. we also, um, when Inuit are represented in media, um, we're often shown to be out on the land, and that's it. And right. I'm really proud that we come home with the hunter. We see him share the meat, and then we go inside his house and hang out with his family, eating and chatting and laughing and cracking jokes. So it, it, it also shows us 
um, in in our daily, you know, the other side of our, our daily well, lives. At, at the, I hope this doesn't sound the the wrong uh, the wrong. You don't get the wrong impression from this, Alethea, But I think you've really humanized your culture in a way that that I think is desperately needed. I'm, I'm glad to hear that. Yeah, for it, for people in the in the south, if you will, you know, which is so crazy because we're Canadians, but at the same time, you go, wow. Like honestly, I because I spend so much time in other cultures, mostly mm-hmm. mostly Buddhist cultures, I am always struck, and I talk to my students about this all the time. I'm always struck about how how poor. Hmm, we're we're kind of crummy listeners, us human beings. <laughs> you know what I mean? We really don't listen to each other very well. We we metaphorically or literally sit on the edge of our seat waiting to say what we want to say. Mm. And I mean, I think you just re- referred to it. You know, the reason your film wasn't finished is because you were trying to reach out to be heard mm-hmm. and you still hadn't heard back yeah. from these, these animal rights groups because they actually maybe don't really want to get involved in the intimate aspects of the conversation. And that just makes me crazy. Yeah, there, uh, there's definitely been some hesitation. I mean, uh, a few years went by without a word, without ever a response from any of these groups. Um, in recently, um, they have started responding to emails and saying that they'd be open to speaking with me on camera. Mm. Um, it's too late now. It's too late for the film. Um, and I've, I've had some email exchanges, um, with a woman from the International Fund for Animal Welfare. Um, but you know, scheduling doesn't work out. Right. Of course not. You know, the, the typical things. Yes. Even though we can do interviews by Skype nowadays, there's still a hesitance to to do that. And, uh, to be honest, I understand why. Um, it doesn't look good on these groups Mm -hmm. that they've been, um, contributing to poverty and hunger in some of the poorest and hungriest communities in North America. Well, the piece that you have from 1978 with Paul Watson, mm-hmm. and, and is it Barbara from? Yes. I mean, that, to talk about a, a damning piece of video evidence, I mean, it's just... It's I just tru- about fell out of my chair oh, when I saw that. No kidding. It's troubling <laughs> on so many levels, right? And, you know, Paul Watson is uh, his own entity now. Like, he's a, he's a personality. He's not just um, a staff member or right. an individual animal rights activist anymore. He's a brand. Um, so when I found this clip um, years ago, it blew me away. Um, but then he's, you know, they started the Whale Wars show on TV, and now he's much more of a celebrity than when I first found it, and it's even right. more relevant and damning, I think. So I'm really interested to see how people react to that. Yeah, how that plays out. Well, I think it's really interesting, you know, having spent uh, so many years in, in this sort of world, uh, this international development world, the fundraising world, et cetera, the nonprofit sector, uh, it's, it is kind of a, uh, I was going to say it's a footnote. It's not a footnote. It's, it's kind of a damning statement almost to the way organizations go about raising money. And mm-hmm. this is, this is one of the sort of the offshoots of a film like this. And this is what I love about filmmaking is the nuance and the subtlety and the layers, because I hope, I so hope your film, by the way, gets a wide academic release, universities, schools becomes, you know, necessary viewing actually mm-hmm. for, for public schools at some level, because, uh, for, for so many reasons, and this is one of them, because, you know, you, you could have a, you could, you could teach a course on just that alone, you know? Yeah. You, well, you know, ec- extremism is fairly mm-hmm. a good thing. Um, and I think, um, people who work for, um, animal rights groups, or donate to them are sometimes extremists, some of the staff that work there and also the people who donate to them. Um, and they don't want to see 
the the wide-reaching effects that their campaigns have right. on, on people who can't afford to lose any more uh, than they've already lost. Um, so it's it's interesting. To, it'll be interesting to see how they react. Um, I've got my bets on some of the first statements that'll come out right. from some of the groups because I've seen do. them yeah. over the years now. I've been watching them so closely and kind of analyzing how they. Um, how they respond when when Inuit are, are brought up, and it's usually pretty condescending. Like we just don't know any better. We don't realize they're not against Inuit, and we're being used by the Canadian government or by industry to protect the the commercial hunt, as they call it. Yeah, sure. Um, it, you know, which completely doesn't acknowledge the fact that Inuit are part of the commercial hunt. Um, well, I, I more than one. I think at the risk of sounding, I mean, I don't know what this means, but there's a Western arrogance. Right, mm-hmm. which is so weird because we're all sort of living in the Western hemisphere. <laughs> mm-hmm. But there is there's this arrogance to to I know I I know I know this issue better than you would or you do, mm-hmm. and that's why we can go and we can make these crazy pronouncements or we can we can raise funds on one portion of what is going on in this world and yet totally misunderstand. The other, I mean, is it Lasso Lucy? Is that the man's name? That's right. Yeah, yeah. And, and so he's talking about hunting and how important this is to him, and it's a part of his culture and it's his life, and this is exactly, you know, what he wants to do. And how he, I think, I think at one moment he talks about how much he loves hunting. You know, and yeah. how this is. I just, I love that moment. Mm-hmm. But he talks about it being our food and our clothing, and then he says, "But I'd really like to meet one of these activists face to face." Yeah, and that hasn't happened. No, that to me is. Probably, maybe, uh, probably, maybe. How's that for definition? <laughs> um, it's one of the most damning moments in the film. It's powerful. It's incredibly powerful, Alethea. Yeah, because I mean, you see who's being affected, and that he is there, ready to talk to anybody who, who will talk to him about it. And nobody, nobody shows up. Nobody talks to him about it, um, except for a fellow Inuk. <laughs> right. Um, so the best I can do is try to bring his voice out there because they're not coming to him. Um, and the, you know, something I wanted to point out with that moment is, uh, you know, the film's called Angry Inuk, um, which has been a little controversial in my own community, mm. um, because mm. Inuit tend to, and I cover this in the film, Inuit tend to express anger a little more softly and gently yeah. than, than Western, or as I call it, Southern society does. You have to tell us a little bit about the song battles as well. Yeah. I, I, want, I, want, I want you to unpack that for us, because yeah. that was wonderful stuff. <laughs> Um, this is something I didn't know about until I was an adult. Um, but when I read about it, I thought, that's why. Um, th- there was this tradition in ancient Inuit culture that was been, that's been well documented by the old ethnographers of um, back then that traveled and came across, uh, made first contact with Inuit. Um, and I don't really know how to de- describe it in English except for maybe calling it something like the anger dance. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And it was a way to resolve conflict. So people lived in tiny uh, family camps, um, were semi-nomadic, so you might spend spring and summer in one area and winter in another. Um, and they traveled in small groups of families. And so, you know, when you're when you're in a tiny group, even in a in a, a re- family relationship, you can let someone know you're pissed off with a look. <laughs> right, right. You don't have to scream and yell. You can, you know, just a raised eyebrow or a, um, an expression on your face. You can communicate so much um, with very little. Mm-hmm. And I think 
with that in mind, um, Inuit living in family camps, um, we didn't have to express anger so loudly. So we just we have a lower bar for communicating anger um, and and displeasure. Also, in living in such a harsh environment, survival being so hard, um, the communities had to work together to survive. Sure, sure. So maintaining harmony was absolutely crucial um, to survival. So we tend to even today avoid um, direct confrontation. Um, but back then, the way they would resolve confrontation is um, if, if there was if someone had pissed me off, for example. Yep. Um, you'd go to the dance house, you know, whether it's the big igloo or uh, or um, the the hug we call it. They'd make a larger igloo in the winter, and people would go in and do drum dancing and singing, um, and sing about their daily hunt and you know stories from their family and that kind of thing. But if someone had pissed you off, you could go to the hug and do a satiric song right. and make fun of the person that pissed you off. Right. And then um, y- using humor to kind of diffuse yeah. tension. And then sure. when you're done, they jump up and <coughs> do their, their um, response. And so they'd use humor and go back and forth and tease each other until humor diffused the, the tension or until someone lost their temper. But um, if you lose your temper, you lose the battle. Right. Uh, because... You know, it's kind of human nature to get defensive when you've done something wrong. Um, I think a lot of people, if if they've, they, they've done something wrong and they don't want to be called on it and someone calls you on it, people can get defensive and react, um, you know, like the old, um, he thinks he doth protest too much or whatever. Right, right. Um, so with that in mind, um, Inuit still today kind of, uh, avoid confrontation. Might we we often use humor to let people know that something's not cool. You know, I was I was interviewing a Buddhist uh, lama uh, recently. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, just a couple weeks ago, a guy who spent years in Tibet studying under the Dalai Lama and so on. And he talked about something in Tibetan Buddhism called humorful humility. Mm. And that's kind of it's a just interesting timing for me that that I spoke to him about this notion. And, and seeing that there's a certain humility in being able to, first of all, being able to say to somebody that you are, in fact, angry with them. Mm-hmm. And then the way they react, like, I, th- you, the co- I think the comment in the film is something about there's a, almost an imposition of guilt mm-hmm. if, you get, if you get angry, if you lose your temper. Exactly. Right? It's almost like you're showing your cards, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> in, in a sense. Exactly. And also... Um, we just we have this principle of not going overboard. Um, right. You know, if you if you become extreme on something, you're right. There's some kind of admission of guilt in that, and um, something people will often say, whether you're too excited or too angry or too anything, they'll say, like don't do too much or don't have too much or it's right. just, uh, moderation is a is a big thing for us. So. Um, even though we've been so uh, devastated as a as a people um, by the anti seal hunt campaigns, Inuit still don't want to appear sure. angry sure. Um, and appear like we're going overboard on it. Um, Which is so interesting to me, Alethea, in a mm-hmm. sense. You know the irony of that. You know the the moderation, the measured reaction mm-hmm. n- to not only to one another and to those in the community, but to those who are actually criticizing us and who are it seems incredibly gifted in extremes. And I mean, you, you even talk about how uh, the, the, the anti-sealing campaign has painted uh, pretty much everyone as being evil 
uh, if they're involved in anything along these lines. Yeah, well, talk, I mean, they, talk they, about they literally draw devil horns on ceilings. Oh, I couldn't, their posters, like I it. couldn't <laughs> believe that. The one in the elevator, the scene with the devil's horns, I was, I was stunned. Yeah, yeah. So it's um, it's a tough line for me to walk mm-hmm. um, making I this bet. film because I want to stay true to Inuit culture. I want to present us as who we are. But I'm I'm bicultural. Um, I've grown up with a foot in both worlds. I did right. my education in the south of Canada. And I think the important thing with this film is to make the world understand our style of anger mm. so that they can hmm. see that we need to be taken seriously. Um, just because we're not screaming, yelling, and throwing bombs doesn't mean that this isn't um, extremely distressing for us. So just before we talk about the youth's involvement in SEAL fees and, and all of that, which mm-hmm. is really, some, there's some really moving stuff uh, that you sort of share there and, and, and just the whole... The, the anti-protest mm-hmm. almost, I guess you could say. Tell me a little bit more about the 83 ban, and, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm hoping all our listeners are going to get to see this film, but tell me a little bit more about that, and more importantly, the implications. And I think that's something else. You know, everything we do affects something or someone else, it seems to me. There's this causality to, to the decisions we make at a high level, top-down, but also bottom-up. Mm-hmm. Can you talk about some of those those implications? I mean, you, you talk about 25 years to rebuild after the mm-hmm. 83 ban That's and right. probably still working through some of those nuances today, I would imagine. Yeah, well, there, there was a reason that these animal, uh, these anti-seal hunt campaigns begun. Um, and I think a lot of pro-sealers might not want to admit this or talk about it or even know about it. But in my research, I, I came across... Um, graphs showing the population of seals in the Atlantic Canada. And there was a point a long, long, long time ago where the population of harp seals did did drop. They've never they're not endangered. They have never been. Their population is massive right now, but there was a point where um commercial sealing in the south of Canada um, it was done mainly by Canadians, but there there was a point where ironically it was the European um, seal hunters that came over to Canada mm-hmm. and used mm. much larger boats mm. and started hunting them in much larger numbers. Um, so it's totally ironic that the Europeans um, became so, um, you know, moral about the whole thing mm. Mm. Uh, when the population started dwindling. Um, so there was a point where the, the harp seal population was dropping, and it was a good thing. I think it was a good thing that people spoke up mm. um, to protect the population and so the government put um, quotas in place right. to protect, um, you know, the, uh, sorry, I'm struggling for the word, um, the con- uh, like it was a conservation issue sure, at the time. Sure, sure, yep. So they put in um, quotas, but then that meant that the sealers that went out there um, suddenly had to fight for their share mm-hmm. of the quota. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, this was like a one- or two-year period where... Um, things went a little berserk for a while. They were hunting them too quickly to try to get their share of the quota, and there were animal welfare concerns for a very short period of time. The government responded very quickly, thanks to the uh, seal hunt campaigners Mm -hmm. um, that drew attention to the issue. Um, So, you know, it it might sound strange, but I actually appreciate that they did that at that point in time. Right. So they put in limits on uh, how many seals could be caught by a, a particular boat per day and put in regulations on how the seals are killed so that they're not um, suffering. But that was addressed very quickly. 
um, unfortunately, in that very short period of time, a handful of people saw how much money they were able to raise so quickly to fight on this issue. Um, so it, instead of being being about conservation, um, it became about, oh, aren't these animals cute? Mm. And that this brings in a lot of money for other um, animal welfare issues. So the campaigns kind of stuck around, um, and they kept fighting, despite the fact that... Um, it became illegal 35 years ago to hunt white coat uh, baby harp seals. Um, they'll still use these images of white coats mm. in their campaigns. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but the, the European Union in 1983 banned the sale of products made from white coat harp seals. And they put in an exemption for Inuit, which is interesting because in, in Canada... Uh, the harp seal, they, they give birth in the south of Canada, and the harp seals migrate north dr- only during the summer. So by the time they reach Inuit lands, they're, they're adults. Mm. Um, so, you know, it was kind of pointless to put in an exemption for Inuit because we don't hunt white coats anyway. Wow, okay. Um, but um, despite the exemption for Inuit, despite the ban only being about white coats, um, the prices for all seal skins around the world from anywhere, no matter who hunted them, uh, completely crashed. And it, um, as I say in the film, it was our Great Depression. People went hungry. Um, hunters' income went from tens of thousands of dollars a year down to less than a thousand dollars a year in some communities. Um, and I mean, I have friends who vividly remember taking the seal skins that their grandfather or father hunted, and that their mother scraped and cleaned, and going door to door as children, mm, begging right. any white person in the community to see if they would want to buy it. Um, and the humiliation they faced and the hunger they faced. Um, my friends and family were affected by this, and it's it's really hard to um, to see that and know about it and and watch people just ignore it. Well, it's a cl- and it's such a classic and tragic uh, statement about um, not getting involved before you really understand an issue. I mean, if you re- it's about intention. It's about mm-hmm. it's about about unpacking it. It's about listening. It's about those activists who didn't come in mm-hmm. to the community to to visit with, with you know Lassa Luzi and others, yeah. right? I mean, well, had they really understood what was going on, mm-hmm. you would like to think. I mean, maybe they wouldn't, but you'd like to think the approach would have been different. Yeah, well, and and for me, the, the what really shocked me the more I looked into this was, it it wasn't by accident. You know, I I can I can forgive mistakes. I can uh, you know you know nobody's perfect. Um, maybe intentions were good in the beginning, and um, hmm. you know, if people hmm. didn't realize the effect they were having on Inuit, that would be one thing. But very, very quickly, Inuit leaders were telling these groups um, what they were going through, mm. um, and that people were going hungry, and that um, people were losing hope um, at hmm. being able to do anything with their life and feed their children. Um, and so these groups, their board members, their staff, they were all keenly aware of how they're affecting Inuit, um, and just continued to do what they continued were doing. Continued to do it anyway, and made no effort at putting any nuance into their campaigns. They still, to this day, um, after decades of Inuit telling them to stop referring to Southern uh, Canadian seal hunts as the seal hunt, right, 
or the commercial seal hunt because there are, there are actually two even within southern Canada. It's uh, the Magdalene Islands in Quebec and um, around Newfoundland and the Gulf of St. Lawrence, and they're very close by, but they're two distinct groups of people that are sealing um, in southern Canada commercially, uh, and not to mention the, the Inuit in Labrador. Um, but there's also commercial sealing in northern Canada as well as Greenland um, and, you know, many countries around the world that, that hunt seals. But, of course, um, most sealing happens in Canada and Greenland. Um, so, you know, they were told immediately what effect they were having mm-hmm. on Inuit, and there is no attempt to change their language. They still talk right. about it as if um, seal hunting is inherently inhumane. They still call it the seal hunt. Uh, without um, yeah, without making the distinction, no distinction whatsoever. Well, one of the things that really was uh, 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 interesting for me and, and kind of a, a shock in a way was this idea of, oh well, but you know, subsistence hunting is fine, mm-hmm. but but they they don't allow for the whole idea uh, behind sustainable livelihoods, right? And this notion that hang on a minute here, these are far-reaching implications mm-hmm. if if we shut this down. Yeah, well, I mean, I think people are, when they say they're okay with subsistence hunting, I think the intention's good and protect wildlife and and not affect Inuit by saying that. But really, um, to me, it's it's kind of a condescending Mm. um, statement Mm. to make Mm. because, you know, (laughs) why do I have to be stuck uh, in the past? Why do I have to live 200 years ago without uh, money? And, uh, you know, I've got to pay rent. Right. I have a cell right. phone bill to pay. Right. Um, why do people expect Inuit to live um, like we did 200 years ago while the rest of the world modernizes and lives on a cash economy? Right, right. Um, we don't have a choice for a lot of reasons. Um, you know, the Canadian government did their damnedest to, to make us look, walk, and talk like Southern Canadians. And although... Yeah, it didn't play out too well, did it? No, it didn't play out too well, but it, it had its uh, long-lasting effects mm-hmm. and irreversible effects. Inuit are not going to all move back out onto the land full time. That's just not going to happen anymore. Well, and I think, you know, just to come back kind of full circle, I mean, I think that I think you made the right choice about your establishing shot Mm -hmm. (laughs) in the film, Mm -hmm. you know, just giving that sense of, uh, we, we're all in this together and yet we are kind of very much distinct Mm -hmm. in, in who we are and where we are. Right. And I think, I think, uh, it's not, this isn't just about a tradition, and a stubbornness on the Inuit's mm-hmm. part, or at least I didn't get that sense. Yeah, this is way more uh, subtle and nuanced than that. Yeah, I I very deliberately avoided um, repeating the traditional. Um, this is tradition and culture for us, right? Um, because it's not just that it, we're modern. This is a this is not about ancient tradition for me. It is about modern survival, um, and the the most ethical and sustainable way for us to make a living today is to live from the resources, the renewable resources that we have. Mm. Um, And we as a people are desperately trying to figure out how we can employ more of our people and lift ourselves out of poverty um, without destroying our environment. And that's a really difficult thing to do that we've been trying to figure out for a long time, ever since the 83 ban happened and we lost that um, source of uh, income. Believe me, we've been trying to figure it out. you know, I get a lot of tweets from people saying, why don't you just do greenhouses and, right. you know, find right. other ways, other things to manufacture. And it's just not that easy when you live thousands of kilometers away from everyone else in a really harsh environment with no trees, no agriculture, no nothing. 
um, the choices are pretty much pretty limited. drill into the ground or the ocean for oil and diamonds and all that, or sell seal skin. Yeah. And uh, seal skin's looking pretty attractive to me. Um, so we're going to have to wrap up in a couple of minutes here. Tell me about tell me about what you are encouraged by. What you are uh, the young the young people in the film, the shots on the bus, the 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 the, the seal fees, uh, mm-hmm. the campaign. Yes, it had some negative implications, without a doubt, which are completely uh, astounding to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, which maybe we'll leave for our listeners to find out about. But w- were you encouraged by that? The the that that youthful energy that said, "Hey, we want to be a part of this as well. We want to change the conversation. We want to help to change the conversation." Absolutely. I mean, something that I didn't have time to cover in the film, there's a group of students that travel to Europe and lobby on this issue. uh, It's a political science program based out of Ottawa uh, called Nunavut Vivunixavut. And so Inuit students from all over um, Nunavut and now actually Labrador in the Northwest Territories as well go and study in Ottawa. They study Inuit Inuit history and recent uh, political history and the land claims agreements. Um, and each year they fundraise all year round from Inuit businesses and, and communities to take their whole class on a trip somewhere. And they usually go somewhere hot. <laughs> right, right. And um, what they usually do is they visit another Indigenous people in another country. Um, and it's a really fun uh, learning experience sure, for them. Sure, sure. And that year that I, you know, I traveled with them and filmed with them, I was blown away because mm. they... They decided to forego their fun mm, trip to a mm. hot country uh, right. because they felt it was just too important yeah, uh, a cool. moment in our um, in our uh, society. So they decided to go to the European Union and lobby the EU parliamentarians there to change their minds about the new ban they were putting in place because it's not just the 83 ban. In 2009, they put another ban that was even more strict into place. And these students felt it was so important. I was I was so impressed. I mean, these these... These youth are like 17, 18, 19 yeah, years old. amazing. And they could have just had a fun trip anywhere in the world they wanted to go, and they decided this is important, and they, they went. And that just it was so amazing to me, and I was so proud to see them speak so eloquently and in such an Inuk way. Mm, um, nice. The young woman who ends the speech by saying, um, we've got to end... The, the cultural prejudice, mm. and we need to be able to benefit from our natural surroundings without having to drill into the ground. And that's really it's all we great, want as a people. You, oh, you it's can't. It's such you, a great moment. She's so wonderful. sweet yes. with a smile, and just um, how can you argue with that? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's it's amazing. Um, are you? Are you hopeful? I mean, near the end of the film, you talk a little bit about a Greenpeace apology, mm-hmm. um, about, you know, some of, you know, you mentioned earlier that, you know, some folks are starting to get back to you now. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe there's a part, maybe there's a part two here. Maybe. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I hope so. I hope the I situation hope changes too. so much that it requires a new film. Um, yeah, I mean, <laughs> Greenpeace, um I think the fact that the the animal groups were so hesitant to talk to me, it was really frustrating, but it also made me hopeful in a weird way because the fact that they were so afraid to talk to an Inuk publicly. I know. It's, um, it's, it, it shows me that they know mm. it doesn't look good on them yes. to be harming Inuit. That shows me that, that um, the world does care about Indigenous people. Right, right. The world cares about us being able to live and survive and feed ourselves and thrive. 
Um, and the fact that they don't want to appear like they're hurting us makes me think there's hope. If we just yeah. let people know yeah. what's happening to us, good. there's hope we can, of, of turning this around. And I think there, there's a new generation that's coming up through these organizations that recognize it's, that it's time for a new model of animal activism. Um, one good. that makes room for it's nuance, it's one good. that is more holistic, that's not so extremist, and that recognizes that the, the hunters that are out there um, hunting seals, they're the ones that are standing their ground against the huge mining companies and the corporations that are trying to destroy the Arctic and drill so, for oil. Uh, it's a bit of a bit of, bit of a paradox there, isn't there? It's, it uh, is, yeah. and, and the, those hunters are the key to pr protecting the whole environment, and I think there's a new generation coming through that's ready to see that. So just, can I tell you one of my, f I mean, I had lots of favorite moments in the film, and, mm -hmm. and uh, but w w the, the, uh, the moment where the skins are to be cleaned, mm -hmm. and the kids take them out and use them as toboggans. <laughs> yeah. I just, Which is actually functional. They're cleaning the oil residue out the skins, and it's, uh, it's, it's a lot of fun. Wonderful, <laughs> wonderful stuff. So uh, tonight, May 2nd, uh, 7 p.m., is the, I guess, could you say world premiere? It is the world premiere. Wow, at Hot Docs. Uh, congratulations uh, again for a remarkable, fascinating film. I learned a heck of a lot, and I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful with you, Alitia. I mean, I think a long way to go, without a doubt, but it's filmmakers like you that are getting this out there, that are challenging the status quo, that are you know, asking deeper questions for crying out loud. It's about time. <laughs> Thank you, you know? so much. So, th yeah, thanks for joining us today. Uh, the film is Angry Anouk, uh, and if you can't get there tonight, it's playing on the 4th and again on the 7th. Hot Docs. I'm hoping it's going to get a wide release. Uh, Alethea Arnakuk Burrell with us here today. Thanks again, Alethea. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm.